All right, if you would, turn with me to uh, Ephesians chapter 3. Uh, as a church, we've been going through Ephesians for a number of weeks now. Uh, we are uh, starting out, kicking off uh, chapter 3. Forgive me for my voice. I lost it Wednesday night, okay? Um, Jeff asked me to preach, and then my voice peaced out. Um, and so I'm about 80, 90% back, and we'll see. I've got 75 minutes worth of preaching, and so we'll see if my, my voice holds up, okay? Um, Ephesians uh, chapter 3 is where we're going to uh, be this morning. If you um, paid attention to uh, Major League Baseball uh, this past year, even if you didn't really pay attention to it, like I played baseball my whole life, but uh, I don't really follow it. Um, that might have to do with having three kids, most in diapers. Um, but uh, I, even if you don't pay attention to baseball, don't like you probably heard of the uh, controversy with the Houston Astros. Yes, um, I know we have some Houston Astro fans, so calm down, uh, just relax through this introduction. Uh, but they were caught cheating um, and, uh, and received a punishment for it uh, this past year. Uh, and I believe, and I, I'm not caught up on all of the details because I feel like every day now it, it's kind of changing and new things come out. But I think stretching back to 2017, the Astros were known in Major League Baseball for being on the cutting edge of um, development and using technology to, to basically win baseball games, okay? Um, so they were known uh, for that, but then it came out that they, they really they began to cross the line. And I think the core issue um, was that they began to use a camera in center field uh, to watch live in-game, I think in their clubhouse, uh, basically uh, below or behind their dugout, um, to watch in-game live the catcher's signals to the pitcher. If you're not fam familiar with how baseball works, there's a pitcher on a thing called a mound, and, um, <laughs> and there's a catcher who's going to catch the ball, and as he pitches, but the catcher gives signs, right? So the, he's going to say, hey, throw a fastball inside, okay? Throw a curveball, throw a changeup. Now, the, whole, the hardest part of batting is you don't know if you're about to see a 96-mile-an-hour fastball inside, right? or an 85-mile-an-hour slider low and out. You just don't know. That's one of the, it's the hardest part of hitting. If you do know what's coming, suddenly batting just got a lot easier. Like if I know, well, not me personally, okay, uh, but if, if I am in the major leagues and I know a fastball is coming, now I'm just really waiting to see if I like the placement of it. Okay, all right. So they're watching in-game, and they begin to communicate with their batters um, whether a fastball is coming or a curveball is coming, uh, whatever. Um, and so this just crossed the line, right? Picking up signals in the game, if you can, is cool, but using a camera in the center field, uh, not so cool. And so they got, uh, they, they lost draft picks for the coming years. Uh, their manager and field manager, I believe, were suspended and then fired, and maybe more happened. Maybe some of that's changed. Um, but my question is this. Here's my question. Why would they risk? Why would they risk what they were risking to do that. I know you might think the answer is easy well, to win a World Series, but think about this. Think about this with me. The um, lowest paid player on the Astros, the Houston Astros, made half a million dollars a year. Okay? Most of the players made over $1.5 million a year. The top guys made 10 to $20 million a year. If I ever find myself in a position of making $10 million a year, it's like, just show, what are the rules? Don't let me screw this up, okay? Right? 
And if they're like, Colin, you don't understand. Um, you could win the World Series if you risk it all. You're going to have to risk it all. You've got to cheat, but you could win the World Series. I'm like, dude, I don't care if we lose every game. I make $10 million a year. Right? Think about this like a normal human, right? Why would you risk everything? Let alone um, 6% of high school baseball players make it to play in college. 6%. Nothing. Right? 6% make it to the college level. Of that, about 11% make it to the professional level. That may mean like single A, right? Um, where nobody goes to your games and knows who you are. And, 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 and an even smaller percentage make it to the big leagues, okay? So even if you don't make a million dollars a year, you're living your childhood dream to play in the major leagues. Why would you risk that? Like, even if you make 100K a year, why would you risk potentially having it all go south to cheat like that? Why would you do that? Here, here is why, pulling from C.S. Lewis, I think C.S. Lewis nails it on the head. He calls it the phenomenon of an inner ring an inner ring i know i make 10 million dollars but i'm not in the ring of world series winners yet my team i can't say i'm on a team that has won the world series i can't say i'm a player that has made it to the elite high level small tiny inner circle of people who can say i have a world series ring but you have 10 million dollars a year yeah, but I, I, I'm trying to get to that inner ring, that elite ring. C.S. Lewis says this, one of the most dominant elements in all of life for you and for me is the desire to be inside the local ring, the desire to be inside that inner elite ring. And he says on the flip side, one of the most dominant elements in all of life is the terror of being left outside being left outside that ring, of knowing you're outside that ring. Yeah, yeah, I make $10 million a year, but I don't have a World Series ring, right? Lewis, C.S. Lewis says we are driven by this. We are driven to be insiders. The thought of being outside anything, we just, we hate it. We hate it, right? We want to be insiders, but the tragedy is that there's always another ring to get into. I made it to the majors. I'm in a, an elite tiny circle of people who can say, I played Major League Baseball, but you know what I found out is that there's an inner ring called people who can say they've won a World Series, and I'll risk it all, all of it, to get inside that ring. Now, most of us, would, we're, we're not going to play for the World Series, most of us. Um, if you're a high school baseball player, you might, you might, okay? Um, hold out hope, work hard. Most of us don't have that, but we all have the World Series circle that we're trying to enter into today. Maybe in high school it was entering into the popular group. You thought beer was gross, but you still went for it, right? To get into that inner ring, that popular group. Maybe it's at work trying to get to that executive level, that executive table of the real decision makers, and you'll do anything to get there, right? We all have that ring that you can probably quickly identify, I'm trying to, to get into that ring. Now, here's the interesting thing about Ephesians 3, is that it assumes it assumes that you're actually made and designed to find ultimate rest and satisfaction in an inner ring. It assumes that. It assumes that you are made to find rest in an inner ring, but it counterintuitively 
Ephesians 3 says that the way to enter this inner ring that brings your soul ultimate rest is to first realize that you're an outsider. To first embrace and realize that you're an outsider, that's actually the way in to find rest. So, if you would please stand with me for the reading and the hearing of Ephesians chapter 3. starts with Ephesians chapter 3 verse 1 for this reason I Paul a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given me was given to me for you how the mystery was made known to you by to me by revelation as I have written briefly when you read this you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as is now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in, <coughs> in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. This is the word of God. All right, you may be seated. <clears throat> Let's pray. God, we pray that you would bless uh, our time in your word and you would speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, first we have to look, if you would, look with me at Ephesians 3, verse 1. We have to notice who Paul is talking to. He says this in verse 1, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles. Notice he doesn't say on behalf of you, the local church in Ephesus, or you, the, the church worldwide. He doesn't say on behalf of you, uh, Israel, Jewish people. He specifically says, and he's speaking to and addressing Gentiles. Now, that, that doesn't really strike us, okay? There's, you kind of gloss over that. It doesn't really uh, mean much, but essentially what, what, what he's saying is, I'm speaking to you who um, are have been outside of God's people since the creation of God's people, Israel, God, God's people, the Gentiles, just everyone else. Who are the Gentiles? Just everyone outside of God's people, okay? Now, even that doesn't necessarily strike us, but if you remember back in chapter 2, and if you have your Bible open or your phone or whatever, if you just look at uh, chapter 2, verse 12, this is what does kind of start to hit a little harder of who he's talking to, because Paul describes the Gentiles, starting in verse 12, as a people separated. The Gentiles are 
alienated. The Gentiles are strangers to God's people and to God. They have no hope, and the Gentiles were without God. Okay, now that, that starts to hit a little harder. That, that That's the people that in themselves, that's who, that's who Paul is addressing. In other words, we can just summarize it, outsiders. Paul is specifically speaking to people who in their existence, according to what God's people would kind of think about them, is outsiders, separated, alienated, strangers, not receiving the promises of God, having no hope and without God in the world. That's who Paul is uh, addressing. They are outsiders. Paul is speaking to people who in themselves are in the most terrifying, according to C.S. Lewis, the most terrifying place you can be. To be outside, not just uh, World Series winners, not the, the circle of the popular people or the decision makers at work or whoever, whoever it is, outside the circle of God's friends, outside the circle of God's family, God's sons and daughters. It doesn't get worse. It doesn't get more terrifying uh, than that. There's no inner ring in this life that can make up for that, Right? There's no inner ring that you could get into or inner circle in this life that can make up for how Paul describes the Gentiles. Meaning, hey, I'm a World Series winner. Oh, that's great. You've made it into a tiny, elite, high-level circle. But you are without hope and without God. Whoa, right? I've made it into the, 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 the popular group, right? Okay, you are without hope and without God stranger to his family, alienated from his family, without hope, not a partaker of his promises. There's no inner ring in this life that can make up for, for what Paul says the Gentiles are in themselves. And that is who he is specifically talking to uh, in this passage. You and I feel this. You and I can feel the weight of this being an outsider because you and I are familiar with the Gentile inside of us. We're familiar with the outsider, in, uh, the outsider that, that we feel inside of us. Like there, there's this nagging feeling that I bet you can identify, that I can identify, that we're never, we're never loved and accepted by, by the right people, you know? We're never loved and accepted and welcomed fully by, by the people or the circle we want to be in. Just always, it always feels like we're trying to go one level up, one circle deep, deeper, right? There's that nagging feeling we always have, but worst of all, worst of all is the nagging feeling that creeps up that maybe we're not loved by God. Maybe we're not fully accepted by God, you know? I understand that this circle, that this group of people are loved and accepted by God, but I don't know if I'm in that inner circle with God. You know, I still feel like kind of a stranger to him. Like I almost have to introduce myself to him, you know, when I start a prayer or try to get his attention because I just don't know. I don't know if I'm in that inner circle of God's friends and God's family. Sure, God listens to my friend when he prays who sold everything and moved to Sudan. Yeah, when he prays, God listens. But when I pray, I don't know. Sure, God listens to my prayer warrior grandmother or father who wakes up at 2.30 in the morning and prays until 7, you know. And then, yeah, of course God listens to him or to her, but to me, I don't know. 
I don't know. Uh, or maybe my friend who seems untouched by original sin. Like, I'm not sure they've ever sinned, you know. That friend you have, that person you have. Of course God listens to them. But me and the mess that I am with all of my sin and all of my weakness and mess, I, I don't know. I don't know. I feel like they're in that inner circle, but do I have access to God like them? I don't know. I don't think so. I feel more like a stranger to God. I feel more like alienated from him. You know, I don't, I don't feel close to him. You and I get this. Well, we can identify with this. You can probably find that nagging feeling in you, somewhere in your heart, somewhere in your mind that just creeps up. And I feel like, yeah, I feel like who Paul is talking to, stranger, alienated. If that's you, you're the kind of person this morning that Paul in this passage is unleashing unleashing good news on if that's you okay that's who he is talking to and we see it already in verse one look what he says he says that he's a prisoner of christ jesus on behalf of you gentiles and then look at verse 13 he says so i ask you not to lose heart i ask you gentiles not to lose heart over what i am suffering for you for you Paul, who we would say is the ultimate insider with God, like if God's going to listen to anyone, it's the Apostle Paul, right? The ultimate insider uh, says, I am suffering for you. Imagine if, imagine if this said, the Apostle Paul assigned to Redeemer in Waco. Imagine if it said, the Apostle Paul assigned to, sent by God for you, Colin, whoa, you're, you're giving your life, you're giving your life, you're in prison, suffering for me, seems like we're getting some good news already in that, now why is he suffering, why is Paul in prison, why is he suffering, if you noticed in this passage, he uses the word mystery a lot, I'm preaching this mystery, I'm a minister of this mystery, I have this mystery that I am revealing and preaching. He's in prison. He's, in, he's suffering because he's preaching this, this mystery to the Gentiles. Now, what is it? What is it? Why is it causing so much controversy? Look at verse 6. He tells us this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Okay, this is what I'm asking when I read. Okay, there's the mystery. Fellow heirs, members of the same body, same promises, but fellow heirs with who? Who? Members of the same body as who? Partakers of the promise and the promises that were given to who? The insiders. That's who Paul's talking about. The insiders. God's people. Israel. That's who. They are heirs. We know that. They are heirs. Um, they are members of the body. They've received the promises of God. They've received the word of God. The Gentiles have known for a long time that they are outsiders. And Paul here is saying, you have felt like outsiders for a very long time. And even, when, even in Acts, if you look in Acts, there's debates all throughout Acts. Are the Gentiles really in? The Apostle Peter. Is, are the Gentiles really in? Don't they need to do something, kind of become more Jewish to get in the elite circle of knowing God? You see it all throughout Acts. Are they really in? And Paul here says, fellow heirs, members of the same body, 
You know the promises that you were given? Those are, those are promises for them. The outsider somehow has become an insider. But how did this happen? How did this happen? Did, did the outsiders create a plan, devise a strategy, buckle down, white-knuckle it, work their way in? How'd they get in the inside? How'd they get in? Did they work their connections, pull some strings, right? How'd they get in? The answer is remarkable. Look at verse 8. Paul says this, To me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given, to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Now here's the key, verse 9. And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God. God has had his eye on the outsiders for ages. For ages. Look at verse 11. This was according to the eternal purpose that he, God, has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. An eternal purpose. An eternal plan. Um, up to this point, Paul has said about 10 times in Ephesians, he's referred to some kind of plan of God, will of God, purpose of God. Again and again and again, Paul keeps going back to um, no one, while you think no one has been paying attention to the outsiders, this has been a mysterious plan in the mind and heart of God for ages to make the outsiders insiders. This has been his plan. He's had his eye on the outsiders. So what was the plan exactly? What was this plan? Paul is suffering, preaching this mystery that God has had this plan to bring the outsiders inside, to make the outsiders insiders. What was the plan? We've already read it in verse 8. Look at verse 8 again. To me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles. Here we go. The unsearchable riches of Christ. In verse 4, Paul says that he, it's the mystery of Christ. In verse 6, it's promises in Christ, Jesus. And in verse 11, it's eternal purpose that was realized in Christ, Jesus. It's all about, and it's all in, and it's all executed by and through Jesus. In other words, the only insider, the only insider, Jesus Christ, the eternal son of God became an outsider to bring you in, to make you an insider with God. That's what happened. That was the plan. That's what God did on the cross. Jesus went to the terrifying place that you and I spend our lives trying to run away from. He went to the outside place. He went to the outside darkness on the cross in your place to bring sinners in with God, to bring you in with God. So through faith in Jesus, you, the outsider, could not be more included. You could not be more of an insider through faith in Jesus. You could not be more welcomed in the presence of God because the insider went outside to bring you in. And in case that doesn't stun you, uh, here's what this means for you today, right now. Here's what it means for us as a church in a worship service. Look at verse 11. 
This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Listen, listen, verse 12. In whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Only insiders are bold and confident. Only insiders. Um, I, I grew up to, to talk about baseball. I grew up going to baseball games, Ranger games. I went to some Houston Astro games. Not ashamed of it. Some people call them cheaters. Some people call them genius. Okay? Um, grew up going to Astros games, Ranger games, and we would get tickets, you know, cheap tickets in the nosebleeds, right? But what do you do if you're smart when you're sitting in the nosebleeds? You watch behind home plate, right? You watch the seats behind home plate and behind the dugout, and you wait for the rich people to go home or not show up, right? And when that happens, uh, you're like, hey, there's five open seats right behind home plate, you know? So those are now our seats, you know? And so you make the long trek from the nosebleeds down. But if you're like me, if you're like me, on your way to the seats, you kind of start trembling, you know? Because there's this feeling like, I feel like everyone's going to look at me and just know. Like, the dude can't, those aren't his seats, right? You're walking down the stairs, and you just feel like everyone around you is like, dude, you're not in this circle. You know what I mean? Like, how did you afford seats next to Jeff Bezos? Like, that doesn't make any sense, right? And so you sit down, and half of you is enjoying the game because you're, like, right behind home plate. Um, if you've never done this, you need to do this to <laughs> make this illustration make sense. Um, half of you is enjoying the game, but what's the other half of you doing? Trembling. Because you're like, oh, is the person going to show up? Whose seats are these? Like, I don't have access to these seats. I'm not allowed to be here. Are they going to show up and then make me look stupid in front of a bunch of people that I'll never see again, and I shouldn't care about their opinion about me, but I do at a high level, you know? Um, so you're just kind of trembling because you know you don't get those seats. And then the second someone comes up and looks at you, you're like, I'm so sorry, you know? And they're like, dude, I'm trying to sell you a hot dog, you know? Um, like, is this your seat, you know? Um, because you, you know you don't have access to those seats. But what do you do when, when it is your ticket? What do you do when you are sitting there and someone comes up and you're like, you're like hey, you're in my seat, you know? And you're like, no, row 1,000, uh, seat four. No, this is my seat. What do you do? You guard that seat like you invented seats, right? Like, no, this is my seat. Like, I will sleep here tonight. This is, I own this seat. Boldness, confidence, access, because you know you have, you know you have rightful access to that chair. So how do we get that with God? I mean, we're talking about something silly like a baseball game. How do you get that kind of confidence and boldness that Paul is talking about in the presence of God? Well, he said it right there at the end of the verse. At the end of verse 12, he says, through our faith in him. What does that mean? What does it mean, through our faith in him? It means that insider access with God, boldness and confidence with God has nothing to do with you. It has nothing to do with you. It has nothing to do with your character or your heart or your works or whether you're a, a missionary in Sudan or you just work a normal job here in Waco. It has nothing to do with you uh, because in yourself, you are an outsider. And so is Paul. Did you notice when Paul said, I'm the least of all the saints? I'm the worst guy I know. So access and boldness and confidence with God has nothing to do with me. It has nothing to do with Paul. It has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with Jesus, with Jesus. 
So God here is saying, abandon yourself. The reason you doubt your access to God, the reason you doubt that he would listen to you and pay attention to your prayers, um, the reason you doubt is because you're looking at yourself. And, and in yourself, you're, you're not worthy. You, you, those aren't your seats. You're not even welcome in the stadium, right? Someone else, to use the illustration, has given you a ticket, though. Someone else. It has nothing to do with you. Your character, who you are, God is here saying, abandon yourself and look at Jesus. Look at him. It's through our faith in him. So we'll end here. How much confidence does Jesus have with the Father? How much confidence does Jesus have with the Father? How much confidence and boldness and access does Jesus have with him in the presence of the Father? Through faith in Jesus, you have his worthiness before the Father. You have his righteousness. You have his acceptance. So through faith in him, you can't not be confident. You can't not be bold in the presence of God. You can't not take advantage of and realize you have total access to him. Because Jesus does. And the Father sees the righteousness and acceptance and worthiness of Jesus uh, when he looks at you through your faith in him. So if that's true, you can't not be confident. So run, run, don't walk, don't tarry, don't meander, run with wild boldness, wild confidence to God because of Jesus and through Jesus. Well, I'm unworthy. Yeah, yeah, so am I. And apparently Paul was the worst guy that he knew. But Paul had utmost confidence because of the grace of God in Jesus Christ. It is time for myself, it's time for you, it's time for us to enjoy anew and enjoy afresh the access we have to the presence of God. To be able, like a little child, right? This is what my kids did with me all last night. When they're supposed to be sleeping and letting me sleep, you know, I hear them over the monitor calling out for daddy, calling out for mama, right? They're not thinking, oh, I'm going to bother him, right? My three-year-old is not going, oh, am I going to bother him? I can't bother him right now. Just let him sleep. <laughs> no. No, my kids are just like, I need daddy right now. Right now. I don't care. What time is it? I don't know. I didn't think about that. Couldn't care less. I need him right now, right? That's how we enjoy the presence of God. That's how we enjoy access to God like sons and daughters with total acceptance. And so we come with boldness. We come with confidence in the worthiness of Jesus. All right, amen, let me pray.